The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So if you haven't already, I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Today, it's going to be a little bit different from our normal expository approach to our time in the Word. If you're not uh, familiar with us here at Shades and how we approach our time in the Word, we, we practice something called expository preaching. Our goal is to put before us the Bible, the text of the Bible, not my opinions, not my thoughts, not the thoughts or opinions of any preacher or teacher, but the Bible, and to exposit or to expose what's there, what the author intended to be there, what he intended to communicate to his original audience, and then to pull that with all of its implications into our lives. We believe that is when we encounter the inspired Word of God and it impacts us and transforms us and changes us. But we're not going to do that per se today. Uh, And the reason why is because this morning is just basically going to be an introduction to our Advent series. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Advent, I didn't grow up celebrating the season of Advent. If you're unfamiliar with Advent, basically it's a season that leads us up to Christmas. It's it's the four Sundays or the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas Day. And those four Sundays, those four weeks represent the time period of 400 years between the end of the Old Testament in your Bible and the beginning, where you should be in Matthew 1, of the New Testament in your Bible. That page right there, 400 years. And so, this 400-year period between the time of the last prophet speaking and the birth of Christ represents 400 years of silence in which the people of God were waiting waiting to see, would the promises of God announced by the prophets of God be true? Would God be faithful to do what he said he would do? He'd claim that he would send a Messiah. He would send one to save. Would he do that? And so, to remind us of how the people of God waited 400 years for the coming of Christ, really longer than that, but to remind us of that, we take four weeks to wait, to sit, to long for Christmas day when we celebrate the advent, the coming of Christ. That's what the word advent means. It's from the Latin. It just means coming. He's, it's a season where we look forward to his, his coming. And I said that today is like a giant introduction to this advent season. Advent actually doesn't start until next week, next Sunday. So why are we starting a week early. Well, what we're doing together this year is going to be a little bit different, and I feel like it needs some explanation, some justification. This entire sermon is just to justify what we're about to do for the next four weeks. Okay? I, I, I want to take this morning to lay out for us the what, why, and how of our Advent series. Right? Those, are, those are the three questions I want for us to answer this morning. What are we doing for this Advent? Why are we doing it? And how in the world is it going to accomplish what I'm going to claim it will accomplish? So those are our three questions. We're going to breeze through the first two and settle into that third one, the how, for the majority of our time this morning. So everybody got the plan? Everybody know where we're headed? Awesome, excellent. You all still have a turkey glaze. Let's keep going. We're going to dive right in. Question number one, what? 
what are we doing this Advent season? I've said it's different. So what, what's different about it? And when I say what are we doing this Advent season, I don't mean in general. Of course, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we do that we normally do, a lot of traditions like, like lighting the Advent wreath that's right behind me with its five candles, the four on the outside, the one in the middle. that They, they represent hope, love, joy, peace, and the one in the middle represents Christ. We're going to do things like that. When I say, what are we going to be doing for Advent, what I specifically mean is, what are we going to be doing in the Word? What Scripture are we going to journey through to help us understand more of the hope, love, joy, and peace that comes through, through Christ? We walk through different Scriptures each year at Advent, so what are we going to do this year? This is why you are in Matthew chapter 1. Look at it again with me, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Skip down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Genealogies. Exactly. We all love these things, right? I know this is like your favorite Bible reading. No? I, I felt, just a second ago, I felt a collective sigh of relief when I had you jump from verse 1 to verse 17 instead of reading through all 42 of the generations listed in verses 2 to 16. Could you imagine if we actually read through and taught through those verses? Like, like from Abraham... To the advent of Christ, could you imagine who would do something that crazy? Some of you are beginning to imagine, and you are correct. This is exactly what we are going to do this advent. What are we going to do? We're going to walk through the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. The whole thing from Abraham to advent. No, I'm not kidding. And you're probably thinking, why? Why would we do such a thing? I'm glad you asked, because that is our second question that we want to answer this morning. We know what we're doing for Advent. Second question, why are we doing it? I'll give you the answer straight up. It's this. We're doing it to help us know why. Confused? We're... Why are we going through the genealogy of Matthew 1 this Advent? So that we may know why we do Advent. Here, here's what I mean. So often we do things without knowing why. Uh, for instance, I'm sure that many of us have Christmas traditions uh, that we love and we have no idea why we do them. Anybody got one off the top of your head you can share Christmas tradition? No idea why you do it. It's just something you do. No one is willing to admit their crazy family traditions. Fine, I'll go. All right, so uh, I'll never forget the first year that Holly and I uh, were married at Christmas. That Christmas morning, I, uh, I got up and I made for breakfast uh, sausage balls because sausage balls is what I have eaten every Christmas morning for my entire life. I don't know why. It's just what we did. We didn't make sausage balls any other time of year, just Christmas morning. So I did that. And I'll never forget, I did it. It's fine. Works great. 
A couple of weeks after that, in, in the middle of January, Holly says to me one day, you know what I've been craving for breakfast again? Sausage balls. Let's make some. I was taken aback. My heart starts racing. I start sweating. Like, what is this obscene suggestion? Is it even legal to make sausage balls any day besides Do they even sell sausage in January? Like, I don't even know who you are anymore. You're not the woman I married, uttering these heresies. But seriously, we have traditions and we don't know why we do them. We just do them. I fear that when it comes to Advent, our lack of knowing why runs way deeper than breakfast food traditions. Like, why do we do this year after year after year? Can we just talk about it once and move on? Baby, manger, stars, angels, glory, dust falling from the sky. Yay, check, done, move on. Why do, why do, why do we do this? Why is Advent a season of hope, love, joy, and peace? Why? Why, I mean, we could get a real spiritual answer going on and say, well, it's all because of the birth of Jesus. Great. Why is the birth of Jesus such great news? Why is Jesus a big deal? There are babies being born every day, people. What's the big deal about this one? What does his birth over 2,000 years ago have to do with me anyway? Why does his birth have anything to do with my life? Why? Why? This is why we are going through Matthew 1 this Advent, because it answers the why of Advent. It answers why the birth of Jesus is good news. It answers why Jesus is a big deal. It answers why his birth changes everything for you. It answers why this is a season of hope, love, joy, and and peace. So, that takes us to our final question for this morning where I want us to spend most of our time and settle in. That is how. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news? I told you that's what it, here's what we're doing. We're going through Matthew 1. Here's why, because it's going to help us understand Advent. How? How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is gospel good news? It's a genealogy for crying out loud. This is a list of names. These aren't good for anything except super hard Bible trivia questions for preacher's kids. Stump them. Genealogies are like the skim or skip section on our Bible reading day. That's the only reason we look forward to them. Oh, I can do this fast. It's skim or skip section. We skim or skip them because they're completely irrelevant with no implications for us whatsoever, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 would beg to differ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, 
God has given us all of Scripture, all of it, genealogies included, all of it with eternally important implications that you would be complete, equipped for every situation in your life, everything that's coming, all of the good, all of the mountaintops, all of the valleys, all of the suffering and difficulty, everything that he's calling you to do, everything he's calling you to be, everything he's calling you to share and to witness about. He, he equips us to do all of that, makes us complete through the word. As, as your pastor, this is what I labor for. This is why I do all the... and get really... Uh, about the word. Because Ephesians 4 tells me what my job is. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to do what God has called you to do. And what equips you is every word that he has given us, including Matthew 1. To be complete and equipped for every good work, you need the genealogy in Matthew 1. It's the very word of God breathed out by him, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. So the question remains, how? How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is gospel good news of hope, love, joy, and peace? I got three answers for us this morning, right? There's a lot more answers than that, but we're just going to focus on three. They all have massive implications for us, and they all come from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Read it with me again. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news? First, by reminding us the Bible is a story. By reminding us the Bible is a story, a narrative. Yes, the Bible has more genres, more types of literature than just narrative and story. Yes, it's got poems and proverbs and prophecies and parables and things that don't start with P's, like genealogies and apocalyptic literature. Yes, it's got all of it, but all of those fit into the story. All of those serve the story, and they don't make sense apart from the story. The poems, the songs, the pro- they're poems and songs and proverbs of the people of God. In the midst of this story, this relationship with, with God, the Bible is a story. It's a unified story. This has massive implications for us, for how we read the Bible, how we understand it, what it's for, what it's about, how it affects us. This is, this is massive. And Matthew 1 helps us understand why Advent is good news by reminding us the Bible is a story. It won't let us forget. How does it do that? How does it do that? It did it in its first few words. It does it by beginning the book of the genealogy. Matthew begins by tracing the genealogy of Jesus. He begins by showing us Jesus is a real person. I said this is a story. Don't take that to mean something made up and make believe. True story, history, his story. Matthew begins this way to show us that Jesus is a real person. You don't include genealogies in fake literature unless you're Tolkien. Because he's awesome. 
traces this to show us that Jesus is a real person born into a real family with real history. It's not made up. It's a true story. This is what a genealogy is. It's a shorthand way of telling a family story. We don't do this so much in Western cultures anymore, but we still do something like it. When you meet someone, you start asking them questions like, what do you do? Where are you from? Why in the world would you want to know that? Where somebody's, it's because we're trying to piece together who they are by putting them in the context of their story. This is, this is the Bible's way of saying, here's who Jesus is. Here's where he comes from. It, 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 a genealogy is a shorthand way of telling a family story. As, as we walk through Matthew chapter 1, we're not going to simply go through this list of names and report who these people were and here are the dates when they lived and here's who their kids were. No. We're going to expand on the outline of what's here. We're going to trace the story. What story? The overarching story of the Bible. That's what Matthew is highlighting in verse 1. Do you see that? He is connecting Christ to the overarching story of the entire Bible. He says, I want to tell you about Jesus. But to do that, we first got to go back to David. That's rewinding the clock roughly a thousand years. We got we to go back to David, Israel's greatest king, because Jesus is a son of, a descendant of, of David. But then again, in order to understand Jesus and who he is with all its implications, we actually have to go back farther than that. We've got to go back to Abraham. That's rewinding the clock about another thousand years. Because Abraham's the father of the Jewish people, and, and Jesus is a son of, a descendant of Abraham. Matthew takes you all the way back to the book of Genesis. He says, if you want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to know why is his birth good news, then you've got to start at the beginning. You've got to get the whole story. The story of who God is. Who he created us to be. The story of what went wrong with all of that and our need to be redeemed, our need for hope. Only through this overarching story can we understand why the advent of Jesus is good news. Only through this story can we understand why Advent is a season of hope. That's what our first candle represents, right? Only through this story can we understand why Advent is a season of hope. Matthew reminds us of this story. So we'll read the Bible as, as a story. This has massive implications for us because we don't normally read the Bible this way. We tend to treat the Bible like other things than an overarching story. We tend to treat it like it's a book of inspirational quotes. We'll just yank out our quote that we need for the day. It's football season, so everybody needs Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the football season quote, right? It, Matthew 1 reminds us we can't do that. This word is a story. Other ways we treat the Bible, we treat the Bible often like it's like Aesop's fables, like it's a, a collection of short stories with a moral. If you grew up being taught the Bible, odds are you grew up being taught the Bible this way. It's just a collection of short stories. You can pull them out, isolated, and tell them to get to a moral at the end, like David and Goliath. It's a cute story that teaches you to be brave and how to kill tall people. No offense to tall people. 
is how we present the Bible. Matthew 1 says no. It reminds us the Bible is a story. It does this, Matthew does this, so that this story will become the defining story of our lives. It will shape us. It will transform us. All of us live shaped by a story. We talked about this while we were in John chapter 8 a couple of months ago. That all of us live our lives, our lives are shaped by a story. Not by inspirational quotes, not by a moralistic checklist. No, we, we live according to a narrative that defines our lives. We, we all have some idea of who we are, what our goal in life is, what we're here to do. There's, there's some story we have used that we've either been given or we've made up ourselves in order to, to figure all that out, to make sense of life. Perhaps you live according to a story that was given to you by your parents. They taught you as you were growing up. Here's who you are. Here's how life works. Here's what you're to aim for. Here's who you should be. And we plotted along living life according to that story that you were given. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you rejected that. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And you live your life according to a story, maybe one that was given to you by our culture. Our culture's overarching story is that each of us get to write our own. You're the king or the queen of your own story. We tend to like that one. I'll take one of those. Yes, please. Or we could live according to a religious story. This was me growing up in the church. I lived according to a religious story that defined what I needed to do in order to be a good person, in order to please God, and in order to get a good afterlife. I lived according to that. The point that I'm trying to make is that we all live according to a story. Even if you're an atheist who believes that there is no God, There's no real point to anything. That in and of itself is a story. It defines and it shapes your life. What story defines your life? Press the implications of that down on your own heart right now. What story, why do you get up in the morning? What are you aiming for? What What is defining who you are and where you are headed? What story defines your life? Matthew in chapter 1, holds out to us the life-shaping, life-transforming story of Jesus Christ, the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible. This Advent, we're going to walk through this story to see how we should see everything. We're going to walk through this story to see who God is, who He created us to be, what went wrong, how we're being redeemed. We're going to walk through the story to see why the advent of Christ is good news. Why Advent is a season of hope. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news? By reminding us that the Bible is a story. It helps us understand the Bible. That's all I'm trying to say. Matthew 1, the genealogy, it helps us understand the overarching story of the Bible. Second, second reason. How does Matthew help us understand why Advent is good news? Number two, by revealing Jesus as the key to the story. 
by revealing Jesus as the key to the story. Again, look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand, Matthew says, the story that I'm about to unfold, you've got to have Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. A genealogy about Jesus. I may be starting at the beginning, but my point is to get to Jesus. He presents Jesus as the key to revealing the meaning of the whole story. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a name. The Hebrew name, Yeshua. In English, we pronounce it Joshua. It simply means Yahweh. It's God saves. God saves. Jesus is a name, but he calls him Jesus Christ. Christ is not a name. It's a title. It comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. It means anointed one. You bring it over into Greek and it's Christos, Christ, anointed one. And, and this title is the reason Matthew highlights Jesus as a descendant of David. Through this title, he's presenting Jesus as the key to understanding everything in Scripture. And specifically, he starts with David. Did you notice that? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He doesn't go in chronological order. He would start with Abraham if he went in chronological order. He starts with with David. He's highlighting him as the son of, of David. And he does that, Matthew does that, in more ways than just listing David first. David is actually the 14th name to appear in this genealogy. And if you're thinking 14, that sounds familiar. It should, because we read to you earlier verse 17. Look down at verse 17. Matthew highlights there for us that he has listed 14 generations from Abraham to David, making David name number 14. He's listed 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and he's listed 14 generations from Babylon to Christ. Why all the 14s? I mean, Matthew's doing that on purpose. Like, it didn't just magically work out this way where there's this beautiful numerical symmetry. Matthew has skipped some generations on purpose to make his list come out this way. Now, don't think that that's messing with history. The Jews in first century Israel, they totally were aware that people did this. They considered it a completely legitimate way of listing genealogies. When it says son of, that's our terminology. The the, the literal Greek and the Hebrew that would be used there is descendant of. And they would skip generations in order to make things symmetrical for multiple reasons. One, for ease of memorization, but also for symbolism. And I think that's what Matthew is doing right here. I think he is symbolically connecting Christ with David over and over and over again. Why do I think that? Stay with me on this right here. The Jews loved some numerical symbolism, and they assigned a numerical value to every letter of their alphabet. Alpha, one. Bait, Two, Gimel, three, Dalit, four. You, you get how this is working. They assign them. So you could take the letters of any word or of any name, you could add them up and you could get a number. David, it's three letters. Hebrew doesn't have vowels. Biblical Hebrew doesn't have vowels. It's three letters, three consonants. Dalit, Vav, Dalit. Dalit is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Vav is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Four, six, four. 
You add it up, 14. David is the 14th name, 14 generations all over the place. David mentioned first, Matthew is emphasizing Jesus' connection to David, even through the way he structures his genealogy. Why? Because he is revealing Jesus as the key to the Bible's story. Here is why Jesus is a big deal. You can't understand the story of the Bible without him. You can't understand the story of David without Jesus. You can't understand the story of Abraham without Jesus. You can't understand the Bible without Jesus. This, this is a mirror image of our last point. Our last point, you can't understand Jesus without the whole story. And now we're saying you can't understand the whole story without Jesus. They go together. It's just like saying you can't understand my life story without me. And you can't understand me without my life story. They go together, they're intertwined. Matthew is revealing why Jesus is a big deal. Because he's the key to the Bible's story. Feel the implications of this. You can't understand this book without Jesus. You can't know God without Jesus. You you can't know God through treating Scripture like an inspirational quote book. You can't know God through treating this book like Aesop's fables that just give you morals to follow. This is why, I, when, when you come each Sunday and I preach from this word, this is why we don't end with, so, here's the moral for today. Everybody go out and try really hard. No! I'm not trying to give you morals. I'm trying every Sunday to center us on the gospel, to rehearse the story over and over and over again until it becomes the story that defines the way you see the world, defines the way you see God, defines the way you see yourself, until it becomes the heartbeat that you live, breathe, and eat in, we're going to preach the gospel. This is, this is why Matthew is revealing Jesus is a big deal because you can't understand who God is, you can't understand the Bible, any of it, without Jesus. You want to understand Abraham? Jesus is the key. When we go back to Genesis 12, and we will next week, when we go back to Genesis 12, we will see that God made loving promises to Abraham. Made promises that through Abraham's family, through his descendants, salvation would spread to all peoples. Matthew says the key to understanding that story is Jesus, whose name literally means God saves. He's the one, the son of Abraham, through whom salvation will spread to all peoples. You want to understand David? Jesus is the key. When we go back to 2 Samuel 7, and we will in two weeks, when we go back to 2 Samuel 7, we'll see that God made loving promises to David. That through his family, a Messiah would come, someone who would be raised up as a permanent king to rule over his people forever and ever. Matthew says the key to that story is Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah. Matthew is revealing to us why Jesus is a big deal. He's the key to the entire Bible. You can't understand the beautiful story of the love of God without Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham.
He's the key to why Advent is good news. He's the key to why Advent is a season of love. It's our second candle, right? Understanding the loving promises of God. Christ is the the key. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news? By revealing Jesus as the key to the story. Basically, all I'm saying is it helps us to know Christ. The first point was that Matthew 1 helps us to understand the Bible. Second, it helps us to know Christ. You can't know Christ apart from the whole story. Third, final. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news? It's your third and final reason. By redeeming us to have a place in the story. So it said, by reminding us, yes, this message is brought to you by the letter R. By reminding us the Bible is a story, by revealing Christ is the key to that story, and third, by redeeming us to have a place in the story. Look at Matthew 1 and verse 1 one more time. The book of the genealogy, remember that this is a story, of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the key, the son of David. The son of Abraham. Like marvel at those names for just a moment. Marvel for just a moment that the son of God is introduced to us as a descendant of a murderous adulterer and a lying polygamist. Like We tend to put David and Abraham on pedestals that the Bible never puts them on. Other people like that. And, and in fact, Matthew, in this genealogy, Matthew's going to go out of his way to highlight the parts of Jesus' family tree that most people would want to keep hidden. Kings, which is what Matthew is presenting Jesus to us as. He's the son of David, the rightful king. Kings, in the first century, would often doctor up their family tree to snip off the unsightly branches. We do that too, if we are honest. I know that you're all hiding a crazy uncle or cousin. That's probably not true. This is Shades Valley. Most of us are the crazy uncle or cousin, if we are honest. We're being hidden. It's okay, we can all hide out here together. But Matthew brings to the forefront the fact that Jesus' line is filled with the unrighteous, the hypocrite, the, the idol worshiper, prostitutes. It's filled with incest and adultery. And, and, and we will see that Matthew especially likes to highlight all of the non-Jewish people in Jesus' bloodline. Foreigners that have been brought. Why? Why does he highlight all of that? Because he wants you to know that there is room for you. There's room for me. Feel the implications of this. There is room in the family of God through Christ for people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, no matter what they've done. There is room for you to be connected to Christ. He came as the Messiah named Jesus to save his people from their sins so they might know him as king forever as their full and everlasting joy. Shades this is why the advent of Christ has everything to do with you. This is why this birth is not like any other birth. This is why this birth of Christ matters for your 
your life. This is why Advent is a season of joy. Christ has come to be your joy forever. It's our third candle, right? Joy. How? How is Christ to be your joy forever? We need our fourth candle, peace. He's doing that by making peace. The glorious, put it all together, the glorious genealogy in Matthew 1 reminds us that the Bible is a story. As we go through it, it's going to remind us the Bible is a story of how we have rebelled against God and deserve to be rejected by Him, but instead of rejection, He's made promises. Promises to give us hope. And this glorious genealogy in Matthew 1, it will reveal that the key to all of these promises, the key to the whole story, is Christ who lovingly, his love, he lovingly came and took on our rejection, gave us his righteousness. He died our death that we deserve so that we may, might have life. What, what wondrous love is this? And thus, this glorious genealogy in Matthew 1, it redeems our place in God's story. Through Christ, we're brought back to God. We get him as our joy forever because through Christ we have peace with God, says Romans 5.1, because he made peace by the blood of his cross, says Colossians 1.20, and so we get him as our forever joy. How does Matthew 1 help us understand why Advent is good news of great joy? By redeeming us to have a place in this story. This story that defines and transforms our lives. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, let's take a journey, shall we, Shades Valley? You and I, this Advent, let's journey through a genealogy, a glorious genealogy, and be reminded that the Bible's a story, a story of hope. Let's see Christ revealed as the key to the story, the story of God's love. And let's see how we've been redeemed to have a place in that story, the story of our joy for we have peace with God. Let's see why Advent is a season of hope, love, joy, and peace as we journey from Abraham to Advent. Amen.